Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank using the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Siri Ibrahim. So for today's episode, I have with us a very special guest. Her name is Courtney Dyer. She is the vice president of private bank at Zions Bank. She has over 10 years of experience in the financial industry and specializes in helping clients achieve their financial goals. She works with the complex needs of high net worth individuals and maintaining a strong relationship between them and the bank. Uh, she helps clients understand their financial situation by reviewing their total assets, liabil liabilities, and cash flow. Through the process, uh, she helps with financial strategies and optimizing optimizes their short-term and long-term financial goals. Courtney, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And you made me sound really cool with that bio, <laughs> by the way. So thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, and, and I really wanted to, I wanted you on the show to talk about like, you know, uh, financial strategies and all these uh, cool things that you do. But before that, do you mind sharing with us your background and how you got into, how you got into finance? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, finance is not a sexy field by <laughs> any means, right? I feel like a lot of people end up in finance, just they end up working in a job and they're like, this is actually kind of nice, right? So that's what happened to me. I was in my early 20s, just finished my bachelor's. I was doing my MBA program and I started working at a bank part-time thinking this will be my part-time gig until I'm done with college. And I find that really cool job where I work in a skyscraper. I have a treadmill in my <laughs> office, right? What we all think is, you know, what's cool in your early 20s. Well, you know, fast forward, I realized, you know what? I love helping people being face-to-face -face with clients. And there's such a need to be able to help people with financial literacy. And that's what I really became passionate around and particularly working in the banking industry. And as you're aware of yourself with your profession, there's, you know, thousands and thousands of people where their background, whether they come from poverty or wealth, the lack of financial education is the same. And mm -hmm. so that's really what my focus has been around is helping people feel confident around making good money decisions and being able to build wealth along the way. Yeah, definitely. And, and you are right. It's not so much of a sexy uh, title, you know, um, but again, it's, I think it's more about the function over the title, like what, what it could do, what we could do yes. for clients, not necessarily just the title, uh, you know, on our desk or on our business card or where we work, but rather what we could do for them. And I love, you know, building, you know, wealth for the future. Now, like, for example, let's fast forward to today. Like, so today, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis as of today? Well, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's really all about building relationships. Mm -hmm. So I have so many amazing clients that I help them dive into their finances. I help them look at ways to be able to build their wealth through utilizing certain liabilities to build their assets, right? Cash flowing assets to be able to build their investment portfolio, to have great returns, make sure that we're diversifying their income and their assets to be able to have that longevity when it comes to their wealth. And a lot of my clients want to be able to have generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So really helping them with estate planning and things of that nature as well. Yeah, definitely. And what are some examples? Like what are some things, for example, that are like, um, like, red flags or things that you see and you're like, oh, well, this needs to be changed like as soon as possible? That is such a great question. One of the biggest red flags that I think all of your listeners can listen, that they can look at their own finances and say, okay, am I on the road to building wealth or am I 
hindering my wealth. Mm -hmm. And that is their, their uh, utilization of liabilities or of debt, right? So not all debt is bad debt. And I know there's a lot of really famous gurus out there. I won't name certain ones that are like, ah, they're so against every single type of debt. Not all debt is bad. Okay. So if you have debt, that doesn't mean it's bad, but how are you utilizing it? And is it uh, hindering your ability to have positive cash flow every month to be able to invest in your future, right? Mm -hmm. So I would take a look and say, okay, red flag number one, am I having way too much debt payments every month? Is it over 30% of my net pay? So your take-home pay is, or your debt payments more than 30% of your net take-home pay, that's a big red flag. And I help a lot of wealthy, wealthy people. And you would be so surprised. It doesn't matter how much money you could be making a million dollars a month, but if you have a million dollars of liabilities, you're still broke. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge red flag. Would you say that like based off of the clients you've worked with, would you say that as they increase in income and revenue that they also increase in debt too? like those two kind of go up together? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we all know it as keeping up with the Joneses, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It's a really common phrase, but it's the lifestyle with inflation. So every time you get a raise at work, uh, you know, what do you do with that raise? A lot of people say, I'm going to go buy this new car, right? I deserve mm -hmm. it. I just got a raise. Same thing. It doesn't matter if your income is 40,000 a year or 5 mm -hmm. million a year. It's the mentality that a lot of uh, our societal pressure has put on to us mm -hmm. to say, well, as you make more income, you should be able to have more toys, which spending money is great. We all want to do it, but you want to make sure that it aligns not only with your current wants, but with your future wants and your future needs. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's the mentality comes in. That's actually why we need the show thinking like a bank. So we could actually change the way we think. Um, so like, what are some of the ways that you help like um, bring these to clients. Like, you know, that's a good point. Like it's not about thinking now, but thinking in the future. So what are some things like if I came to you and I said, Hey, Courtney, you know, I'm, I'm debating, should I buy my third home or should I start planning for, you know, the future? What should I do? What, what would you, what are some things you would tell me? That is amazing. You are a, an amazing interviewer, by the way, guys, <laughs> this is a great podcast. Seriously, that's very thought provoking. So Thank this you. is what I would say. I would have you ask yourself some questions. First of all, is buying that third home, is that aligning you with where you want to be in five years? And if so, tell me how, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a cash flowing property? Is it going to put you in the positive to have another passive stream of income to support that future goal that you have, mm -hmm. right? So I would have you think proactively for yourself, you know, how does this align with your future goals? Because your current wants and needs can sometimes really butt heads with your future <laughs> wants and needs. And so it's like, are you chasing the current shiny object because <laughs> your friend has it, or you saw it on TikTok, you know, whatever the situation is, or is this something that really is going to be a step to get you to that next level that you say you want? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I agree because when we do it this way, the, the, in these questions, we're getting the client to really stop and like, all right, you know, they're going to say like, is this what I really want? Um, and then instead of you saying like, no, don't do that fun thing, do this thing where you're investing in the future, rather they end up saying that because they end up uncovering the logic behind it and then how they truly feel about it. Right. And that's Absolutely. kind of our job, right? We're like, you know, we're connectors and we're like, we, we see, we find, we figure out these problems that clients have. Um, I was listening to one of your episodes on YouTube. And by the way, check out her YouTube channel. It's, it's your first name and last name. That's the name of your YouTube yes. channel, right? 
um, I was listening to one of your videos, your audio parts, and you were talking about real estate. So what, what, what kind of experience do you have with real estate investing? That's something we kind of favor on the show. So tell us a little bit about your real estate investing experience. So real estate. So as I mentioned earlier, debt can be a really good thing mm -hmm. if it's used in an appropriate way to help you build cash flowing assets, right? Because that's the goal to go from earned income where you exchange your time for money mm -hmm. to cash flowing assets that then turn you into passive income streams, right? So now you can go to Tahiti, mm -hmm. you can go to Vegas, right? You can do what you want. So that's the goal. So real estate, as you know, and your listeners are well aware of, that's why they're listening to your show, is it can be a fantastic tool because it is a collateralized asset mm -hmm. that can build not only equity and appreciation and the value of the asset, the property, but it can also, if you're smart with the way that you buy it, it can create positive cash flow monthly, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a commercial property, whether it's a residential, a multi-unit. So I'm a big fan of the Burr method, mm -hmm. which is, of course, as you know, but to refresh your listeners is where you buy, you renovate, you can either resell it or you can rent it out. And then you can refinance the property, pull out that equity that you just gained from renovating the property. And then you take that money and you go dump it into another property to build a great real estate portfolio. And the trick to this that I've found is really being able to identify properties, either wholesale or under market value. So being able to go to the county recorder's website mm -hmm. and look for properties that have been foreclosed on or they're about to be foreclosed on and then being able to identify those properties and being able to purchase those because you don't want to buy them at market value, right? Because mm -hmm. it's going to mm -hmm. be really hard to get that equity so you can refinance it and take that money to another property. Okay. And just to recap, so one way of finding these good values is by going to county records, like any county you're at. Yeah. Um, and then would you, is it for, like, do you have to buy this data or they just give it to you for, how does that work, that process? It's public. It's okay. public to anyone. So we all have a right to know within our county or at, you can go to any county. So let's say you live in Florida, but you want to build a real estate portfolio in Chicago. You can go to that county's recorder office online mm -hmm. and you can do searches for properties and it will show you. So, you know, go to Zillow, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the neighborhoods, make sure it's a great neighborhood where you can rent it out for a higher amount than the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And then you can go to the county recorder's office and you can identify whether it's been foreclosed on, whether it's about to be foreclosed on, just by doing parcel uh, searches through the county recorder's office. Mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of people yeah, will try to sell you that data, right? And tell mm -hmm. you, you have to buy into their website, right? It's, it's free to everyone. So that's a little tidbit, a little golden nugget for your listeners. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. So it's free. If you don't have to yeah. necessarily buy it from other people. Yep. You mentioned um, collateralized um, asset. I love that term. And just to kind of like, it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, it means that you have an asset and then you could borrow against that asset. So this way you're not trading it for something else. Rather, you, you, you're you building the asset, borrowing against that, maybe even buying another asset and then doing that over and over again. This is how people buy, you know, 300 apartment buildings is because of its collateralized assets. They're borrowing. It's not necessarily they have all the all that money in cash. They have it all through leveraging good debt. And this is something we talked about on your show, about like using a bank on yourself strategy, like using cash value, whole life insurance, um, borrowing against that, using it for different things. So I just, I kind of wanted to just comment on that. I love, you know, collateralized assets because you're not trading one for another. You're, you're kind of um, like rolling it or compounding it into something else. And then not to mention also, there's also the tax benefits, right? Of being a real estate investor and investing in real estate and claiming that depreciation. Now, like from the standpoint of thinking like a bank, like 
what are some things that a bank looks at? For example, if I'm a real estate investor and I come to you, I say, hey, Courtney, I need some, I need a loan for, you know, a property that I want to um, buy, renovate and then rent out and then do it over again. What are some things that from like a banker standpoint, what are some things you would look for and recommend that I do? Yes. Again, amazing question, because this is where a lot of people get caught up, right? Because there, it is a complex process if you don't understand it, but I'm going to dispel that for your listeners right now, because I underwrite loans all the time. I've underwritten hundreds of loans, particularly for properties. Mm -hmm. And this is what's really important. When you go to get a mortgage, let's say it's for you personally, it's under your social security number, you're the personal guarantor. Mm -hmm. There's two aspects to underwriting a loan that are really critical when it comes to properties. Number one is the loan to value ratio. Mm -hmm. So that means the amount of money you're going to borrow from the bank versus what the property is worth. Typically, they do not want to go more than 70% 70% depending on if this is an investment property, right? This You're not house hacking. It's not your primary residence. Mm-hmm. If it's considered an investment property, they're not going to want to go higher than 70%. So you're already looking at that 30% that you're going to have to come up with for your down payment, right? Mm-hmm. The second aspect is your debt to income ratio. Because you're doing this property under yourself personally, as a personal guarantor, they don't want your debt to income ratio to be higher than 45%. That's going to be the max, right? And that's just a general rule of thumb for all banks, all credit unions because of Dodd-Frank. So it doesn't matter where you go. Those are the numbers you're going to have to look at. So when you're looking at building a real estate portfolio, particularly what we talked about with refinancing, right? And continuing to build, you're going to want to do it as what's called a business loan. And you're going to want to do this by forming an LLC or corporation, go consult with a CPA to see what's going to be the best entity type. But then once you form that business and you attempt to purchase properties within a business entity, it's going to be underwritten a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at, is this a cash flowing asset? So then what you can then, you can go to the underwriting process and say, yes, I'm not personally the one that's going to guarantee. You're not going to be looking at my debt to income. Mm -hmm. You're going to be looking at the business being able to cash flow itself. So that's a way to be able to protect yourself personally from being held liable. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, for the underwriting process, for them to look at the cash flow opportunity Mm -hmm. from the property itself and not from your personal income. Mm Okay. Brilliant. Perfect. Yeah. I love that. The underwriter's mindset, you know, uh, of, of what, what you're looking for and Dodd-Frank, that's the act where that was passed after 2008, after the recession, the huge real estate recession, if you haven't heard about it. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. And it, there's a lot of language in there that pertains to, um, protecting consumers and protecting people because foreclosures were so high that they wrote that act so that way lenders wouldn't just give out loans they had lenders had to go through certain they still have to right now go through certain like requirements to make sure that lenders could borrowers could pay Um, but when you like you mentioned when it's a business business entity properly structured through the advice of a cpa then what happens is is it kind of i don't i don't want to say it goes outside of dodd-frank but not all of dodd-frank then applies to the business cases because now the low, the the lender the bank is looking at this as like you know we're lending to a business and does this business produce cash flow and that's what we're looking at and i think correct me if i'm wrong but i think that's also considered like non-recourse meaning that if yes. you default they only take the property and the cash flow behind the property not your personal assets they don't come after your personal stuff that's not the point of that kind of loan it's a non-recourse loan correct yep so it's a great way again 
go talk to a CPA, tell them what you're planning on doing. But it's a, if it's not a property that you're going to be living in, it's definitely something you want to look into and you want to research further, which structure is going to work best for you. But it's a, it's one of the main ways you see these people that are like, mm -hmm. oh, I just bought 300 apartment complexes <laughs> and I didn't pay a dime, right? Yeah. This is, we're going into the actual you know, secret quote unquote, that they're trying to sell you. We're giving it to you for free right now because it shouldn't be a secret. This information should be readily accessible to mm -hmm. everyone to be able to build cash flowing assets so you can have financial freedom, so you can have positive passive, passive income streams. Yeah, definitely. I love it. I love real estate. And I think both on the active side and the passive side, you know, that's also really cool too, where you're just passively investing in deals, not doing anything. We're just you know, we don't have to even see the properties. You could just invest in it pa uh, passively. That's, I think it's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about more because like, you know, I was kind of supering around and, and looking at your LinkedIn and stuff. And, and it looks like you have your series six and seven. Can you explain what those are to the listeners and like the importance of them and what you could do with those securities licenses? Yeah, so I... So I have what's called my series six, my seven and my life and health. And mm -hmm. what that is, is where you become uh, licensed to be able to have conversations and give recommendations to clients in regards to specific investments. And so uh, investing in the stock market, bonds, you know, munis, anything you mm -hmm. can think of, uh, we can have those discussions. Series seven in particular is more in regards to be able to have those conversations. And then the series 66 is like, hey, you can have these conversations, you know, all the laws, the regulations, uh, and you can also talk about state securities as well. Okay. And how, like, how were they? I, I know the series seven is like really intense, right? That's like the longest one out of yeah. all of those. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what, it depends. For me, it was interesting because I haven't been in college in like years, <laughs> right? And so your brain operates differently as a student. So mm -hmm. It's one thing to be able to learn information, but it's another thing to be able to pass their tricky test. Mm -hmm. And so with the series seven, that one is the heart. You have to pass what's called an SIE first, which mm -hmm. is the securities industry exam. And it's the entry entrance exam to say, Hey, are you smart enough to take the series seven? Mm -hmm. so, so you have to take that first. And if you pass that, then you have to take your series seven top off. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you have to do it in a certain amount of time. It's like a hundred questions. And they ask you a multitude of questions about all types of securities, including like options trading and, you know, all that fun mm -hmm. stuff. And then the series 66 is really, really dry. Uh, <laughs> and it's more about the laws and the regulations. So do you understand the um, specifics of these laws that pertain to being great fiduciaries when it comes to giving good advice to, to clients, which is so critical, right? You don't want to take your advice from, you know, a, a quote unquote guru that you mm -hmm. saw on Facebook or that's TikTok. telling you to, <laughs> in, you know, do this day trading and to follow his trades. Yeah. And it's like, is he licensed to be able to have those conversations? So you're protected knowing this person knows what they're talking about. Right. So that, that's what it means. Yeah. And I think that's crazy. Like, I think there's actually a problem now with like TikTok and like Instagram with like day traders and like people joining them, like just so people know um, that it, like people who analyze the stock market are usually like people who like went to really good school. They have like really good degrees. And these are people who like 
do quantitative finance. And even those people are sometimes not always right about where it's going to go. So to listen to somebody just on TikTok or, you know, Instagram who just says, oh yeah, I bought these stocks every Sunday. I buy these or whatever. I think that's absolutely crazy to do. <laughs> and, it's bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I could tell just by speaking to you, this is the second time speaking to you, I could tell that you're very like thorough and your clients are very lucky to work with you, you know, and. Oh, thank like, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, how could, and before we go, so what are some like books you like, or what are some ways that you like to learn and, and, and things like that? Oh, well, I'm an avid podcast listener, or <laughs> some people might say I'm an addict. Cause I, I always, <laughs> I'm like cooking dinner, doing laundry, working. I always have like my earphones in listening to podcasts and I love listening to like Motley Fool Money, uh, <laughs> Millionaire Fast Lane. Uh, I love li- listening to market updates. So I'll just turn on like bloomberg.com and I'll click on the videos. And that's a great way to stay up with the market. A lot of people are intimidated with the stock market, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's like so many different facets and it is pretty complex, but you want to just know enough information to be dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Say, you know what? I can have a really good conversation at dinner with my in-laws and I can hold my own. That's where most people are at, right? Where Mm -hmm. that's where they want to be. So go to wallstreetjournal.com, go to Mm -hmm. bloomberg.com, click on the most recent article and you you can just turn on the video and it'll cycle through the audio, the transcribed audio of mm-hmm. all of the articles. And you can listen to that and it takes 15 minutes a day. Right. And that's free to you. Wow. Uh, you can listen to podcasts. I love listening to books. Um, mm-hmm. I just started reading a book and it's called the power of zero. I don't know if yeah. you've read that. I love that book. It's such an easy read. Right. Yeah. And it's so eye opening. And I think that that's a fantastic read for the listeners. There's the classic Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mm-hmm. absolutely love that book. And I think it's one that you can reread over and over so you can pick up you know, more information every time you read mm-hmm. that book. And this concept that we've been talking about a lot today in regard to passive income streams, mm-hmm. a lot of that, my passion derived from reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad many years ago saying, you know what? I don't want to think like everyone else. And I don't want to work till I'm you know, 65 and then draw my retirement. And hopefully I saved enough along the way to be able to buy my groceries. I don't want to live like that. And so I think that's a really critical mm-hmm. uh, book for everyone to read. And if they have read it, read it again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. That's definitely a classic. Um, I think I read it like, I think two or three times so far. Like I read it like once a year, just like over and over again. Yeah. It's the annual, you know, reading <laughs> yeah. of our leader, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a, it's just a great book. And also Millionaire Fastlane, Millionaire mm-hmm. Next Door, The Richest Man of Babylon. Oh, yeah, They're all sure. great reads. Yep. Have you read Principles by Ray Dalio? I haven't. Oh, oh I'm yeah. going to have to Google that one. Oh my God. That book is crazy. I'm, re- I'm like halfway through it right now. I'm reading it. I'm, it's it's going to so be my good. next read then. I, and I'm going to get it on audible and I'll just have it in, you know, listening to it while I'm working. That's mm-hmm. perfect. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Courtney, it's been uh, awesome having you on. I really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to hopefully being back on your show. You come back on this show. Um, tell us how can they get in contact with you? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much. And if your listeners don't know, you were a guest on my podcast, The Financially Free Journey. Mm -hmm. And we had such a really, just a fantastic discussion. And so thank you for having me on. Uh, The listeners can find me, my website's financiallyfreejourney.com. And then all of of the social platforms, it's at Financially Free Journey. Okay. And I'll be sure to add in all the links in the show notes. That way they can just click and and reach out to you. Um, Thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to reconnecting. Thank you so much.
Thanks. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.